Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Carolina Weather Group. This is the Wednesday, October 24, 2018 edition of our little weather get-together. We appreciate you joining in tonight on this cool or somewhat chilly October night. Uh, I know the uh, the cold air has uh, really kind of been a shock to the system after the uh, the warm spring and or it's warm summer and early start of fall that we've had. So uh, anyways, tonight we have Rob Fowler on with us. He's the chief meteorologist at WCBD in Charleston, South Carolina. And if you watched our program or listened to the podcast, you've probably heard or seen Rob, uh, Rob several times on our show, but we've really never just had a conversation with Rob about different things. So uh, that is what we're going to do tonight. And uh, uh, as you guys know, who've been following Rob's been requested by several of our, uh, our listeners. So we're happy to, uh, to have Rob with us tonight. This is a live broadcast. So if you have any questions or comments throughout the show, uh, you can do that. So one of uh, many different ways we're streaming on Facebook live and Periscope and also on our YouTube page. And if you're listening to the podcast afterwards, uh, once it gets uh, loaded up onto all the uh, podcast platforms, we'll uh, let Rob towards the end of the show, give out his uh, social media information. So if you have any questions or found yourself in Charleston, uh, you can follow Rob and uh, get the forecast. So with that guys, uh, mm -hmm. uh, Rob's kind of working on a tight schedule. He's got some, <laughs> uh, some news, and some weather to do so uh, we're going to go directly into our interview and uh let's see uh okay i was looking at our, our notes here on the screen so uh we're happy to have rob with us so we'll get directly into our uh into our interview here rob uh we appreciate you uh joining us tonight i know it's uh, kind of been quiet the past week or so and i know that's a big relief for you well, really has, uh, Scotty, not just this year, but uh, as the panelists know, we've had a pretty active last four years, 2015, 16, 17, and of course, 18, uh, going all the ba way back to the floods of 2015. So I think the folks here are weary, but at the same time, we obviously did not get uh, the full force of Florence or Michael or Irma or Matthew or even the floods back in 2015. We got enough uh, to just let people know that obviously we're a coastal city. We need to prepare as if we could be hit every single year. And, uh, and, and then we have the snow in January, and I think a lot of people were excited about that. So we've had a lot of uh, active weather here over the last few years, and I think a lot of us are ready for a break. Yeah, Robert, we were talking about that earlier before the show started, just uh, the past several years, how active it's been in your area. But uh, let's, let's kind of step back for just a second. And for our followers who may be living in uh, western North Carolina or the upstate of South Carolina, uh, what's it like to forecast in Charleston? I mean, uh, it seems like a, a beautiful vacation destination that a lot of folks go to. They may only see it for a week or so in the summertime, but overall, uh, what's it like to, uh, to forecast in the beautiful city of Charleston? Well, I'm lucky to live here with uh, panelists Jared and Shay as well. So we all get to enjoy the beauty of the low country. And, and I'll tell you what, it's a fantastic place to live, number one. There's a lot to do, and weather is very important to people, as you might imagine, because we are an outdoor community, and we have a lot of tourists who come in, and, and we have a lot of folks who move here. So the first thing they want to know about is, you know, how do I handle a hurricane? I've never done that before. I came from Nebraska, where we have tornadoes and other issues, but maybe not a hurricane. So, um, But it's, it's fun. It's challenging. Obviously, we're lucky to have Shea right there along the coast. Keep an eye on what's going on to our east. That was Probably one of my first biggest uh, forecast challenges when I came here is I had to look both directions. When I was in Wisconsin, our weather came from the west or northwest. 
but here it comes from both sides. So you got to keep an eye on what's going on in the ocean as well as what's going on over land. And uh, you don't want to get caught uh, saying it's going to be a beautiful day and then you get a little complex of storm to move in from the ocean and all of a sudden that forecast is a complete bust. But again, I would say 99.9% of the time the weather here is very quiet and uh, really enjoy living here and enjoying the great weather, especially the kind of day we had today. It is. And Rob, it's a, it's a place where you alluded to a little bit earlier, you even get a little bit of taste of winter weather down there in the Charleston. So it's an area that you get to experience all four seasons of the year. Well, and exactly. We don't get a lot of snow. And certainly what we saw in January earlier this year was our third highest snowfall total. Uh, behind the Hugo snowfall in 89, it didn't happen, it happened after Hugo. And then, of course, we had February of 73. So it was fun. The kids enjoyed it. The parents enjoyed it. They were sliding down what hills we have. Uh, embankments off of exit ramps off 526, one of our interstates here. But it was fun to watch. And, uh, but once we got beyond the, the threat of the ice underneath the snow, Scotty, um, then it was fun to cover. But first we had to make sure to let people know there's a layer of ice under the snow and driving and walking and all those kinds of things that we don't normally have to do in this kind of weather uh, can be treacherous and hazardous. Definitely so. We're, we'll get into the uh, the snow uh, event here in just a little bit. Uh, I want to bring in Shay and Jared because, uh, Rob, you guys in the Charleston area, uh, you guys have a really tight-knit weather community. Uh, you can really tell it from, from the interaction that you guys – and Shay and Jared, I'll bring you guys in this – you guys, throughout your uh, weather companies with Charleston Weather and Weatherflow, uh, you guys get to work closely with Rob and just kind of talk about uh, talk about the the the, uh, the relationship you guys have down there in the Charleston area. Sure, Jared, you want to go? You want to go first? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, there's there's a couple ways that this could have gone, right? Like, <laughs> you, you know, I think that when you have you. You have so you're so used to you know in Rob's case I you know I I know that he's been used to being a man and and he's been just the just awesome uh, I I don't think there's any any other word for it we're all geeks we're all into the weather we're all into this <laughs> stuff you know we all enjoy this stuff um, and uh, you know me coming in is just this again you know for for those who have followed me around for a while haven't followed me around for a while I'm just this random guy I, I do software you know and and I. I do software and I like weather and I happen to parlay that into something really cool. And, um, you know, and, and Rob has been fantastic, uh, just as a, you know, as a, as far as support and, and, you know, and answering stuff. And, and he, you know, he even got in, got in touch with a, a, <laughs> a reporter for me a few years back when, uh, I, uh, I did a little meme about the Super Bowl, And so, you know, and he's, you know, and, and I think the, the thing that, you know, the thing that you know we we all like is that you know he he's he's this he's a good guy all right so so you know for you know he does he does the weather and everything like that and he's the same guy he and he loves his chick-fil-a you know and he's, he's just a really he's, he's a <laughs> he's a true. really good guy and so we we're very fortunate i mean charleston's fortunate to have you know excellent meteorologists and and really the dean here you know i mean 31 years now 31 Holy years cow, yes. man. yeah 31 start- years I started when I was two. That's that's <laughs> impressive. That's even more impressive than I was. I was saying meteorologist at five. So I mean, I, I I'm impressed. Um, so you know, I mean, so but yeah, I mean, what more can you say? I mean, there's 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 few words to put into context just how you know important uh, Rob has been to the you know the community here and and 
over the years. I mean, you know, I grew up watching them. You know, Shay, I'm sure you did the same thing. You know? <laughs> I mean, and uh, and it's just uh, it it's uh, it's kind of crazy. Ten year old me is pinching myself right is is can't believe what thirty four year old me is doing right now. So this is uh, it's it's a lot of fun. It, it's really a, it's really great. We all work together. I think that's the most important thing is that we are all one group looking out for the safety uh, of Charleston and for the beauty of it too. Most, most of the time we're all just, you know, looking at sunsets, which is even more fun. <laughs> uh, I totally agree. I think Jared took every word out of my mouth that I was going to say, so I have nothing left. Um, no, I'm just teasing. Rob is, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm like you. I grew up, uh, I grew up watching Rob and, um, and I was always fascinated with weather and I just always loved how he conveyed the message. And he conveyed it in such a way that made it interesting. It wasn't just, uh, you know, just droning on a weather report. I mean, it was actual educational. It was an educational experience almost every single time. Uh, just the way that uh, you convey the message, Rob, is beautiful. Even today, uh, you still do. But, uh, you know, your presence in the Charleston area, your presence not only in Charleston, but the southeast region, uh, the east coast. I mean, you're well known all around. Uh, you attend functions daily. I mean, whether it be school functions for kids you give so much of your time back to the community. It's, it's just, it's amazing thing. Um, you know, I, I can't, I can't think of anyone else who gives as much as you do with your time and weather and, uh, and people know you for that and they appreciate it and they value what you do for the Charleston area. So for me, uh, coming on with weather flow, being part of the coastal wind and water sports community, uh, with wind and, and weather stations to, to add to the, to the whole mix and bring something to the table, uh, and be a part of this team is just, it's great. I love it. And I appreciate it every day. Um, you know, and that, that goes up and down the coastline, but for me growing up here in Charleston and being able to get back to uh, the community in that way as well, working with Rob and others and Jared, it's a, uh, it's a great experience. So uh, back to you, Scotty. Thank you for that. And, and Rob, you know, we, we appreciate you've always uh, gave a, a, a your time <laughs> if we've ever requested. So we're happy to have you on tonight. And, uh, you know, Jared alluded to you being at WCBD for 31 years now. You've covered a lot of uh, major events, and we've, we've kind of picked a few. And uh, <laughs> if you have any more to add on to it, we'd love to. But um, before that, uh, you're a graduate of Mississippi State, and I learned that you did some oceanography at Portland State, which that sounds pretty interesting. Well, I needed that for my AMS seal, and it ended up being the hardest class I've ever taken because it was long distance learning. And this was, you know, many, many years ago. And they gave us a book about that thick with no study guides. And you had a whole year to take three exams. But basically, you had to know everything there was in that book, including the captions, which people warned me about. Read even the captions and the pictures. Uh, and, you know, at that time, I was young and I would procrastinate saying, I got a whole year to do this. And six months went by, I hadn't even started it yet. And then all of a sudden, I realized I better get down to business. And for those six months taking three tests, they were all proctored. I took them at the National Weather Service here locally. And uh, it was pretty <laughs> difficult, but it, but it taught me a lot. And, uh, and just thank you guys for the nice words. Uh, the, the one thing about the Charleston market, and I think it, it, it transcends all the markets now, is uh, with social media, uh, we're all pushing each other uh, to do more and to do better. And I think that makes the viewers and the listeners and the people in the community, I think they benefit from that. Uh, I look at Jared and I look at Shay posting. I'm like, uh, I got to step up my game here because those guys are really getting out some good information. 
And uh, I think it's easy for me. I just retweet them, you know. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, all, all kidding aside, no, I, I think you what you hit it right on the head, Scotty. We're we're a community, and I'm uh, all the other meteorologists at the different TV stations. We all work well, and I think we all realize that competition is one thing, but when we have an issue where we all need to be on the same page and get the information and the message out, uh, you can throw that out the window. Everybody works with each other and uh, for the same common good. And that, that's a great thing for, for the community in itself. You know, there's other markets and stuff where they, they battle each other through everything. And so it's good to see the, the continuity there in the Charleston market. Um, you, you started at WCBD in 1987. I, I don't think anything major happened between then and maybe the first <laughs> major storm that you had to deal with. And, and that's uh, – we were talking before you jumped on in our little pre-show talk is Hurricane Hugo – Still the benchmark um, yeah. for, for hurricanes and storms uh, there in the Charleston area, and even in, in the Charlotte area in western North Carolina for hurricanes. So uh, that was kind of your, I guess, the first big storm you've had to cover there. Yeah, absolutely. And I, to be honest with you, if you ask me what happened between 87 and 89, I really I can't remember anything, to be honest with you. there were a, I remember a Tropical Storm Chris in 88. Uh, we were very lucky, Scotty, and, and I give uh, uh, a guy named Michael Powski a lot of credit. He was the chief engineer at a station in Brownsville, Texas in 88. He had gone through Hurricane Gilbert. So he came over to our station in 89, early 89, and he had just gone through that. So we basically said, Rob, I just went through a hurricane. Do you guys have a good hurricane plan? And to be honest with you, I don't know if we really did. We had a plan, but I don't know if I would call it, you know, uh, adequate. So we sat down and because of Mike, you know, we kind of put things together, pieces uh, of the puzzle in place and not knowing that months later we would have, as you mentioned, the benchmark hurricane uh, of my lifetime. And, and I think we were better prepared for it. So for me personally, there was a lot of uh, uh, foundation already laid when I got here, uh, or at least after I got here. And so all we had to do was just play it out and, for me personally, it was probably just as devastating as many, but professionally, it probably turned out to be the best thing to ever happen because there were a lot of people that responded and watched, and uh, I was new to them, having come into a market with, as Jared and Shay know, a guy named Charlie Hall, the late Charlie Hall, who was the first voice heard on Charleston television. So I was new to the game, and Bill Walsh was, was here at another TV station, and uh, it, it just just did what I thought I needed to do. But it turned out to be, again, uh, a great professional situation for me. I wouldn't wish it on anybody, uh, but I was uh, kind of in the right place at the right time. And so talking about that, um, kind of give us, you know, maybe some highlights or maybe uh, some memorable things going through, Hugo, as you were covering it for, for Charleston on TV. Um, I, we had you on a couple years ago about the Hugo special, but maybe for those who, who don't remember, I, I know you guys at one point, I believe had to leave the station or was, was about to leave the station or something like that. So kind of talk to us about maybe some of the memories and stuff that, that, uh, that kind of really stuck out through Hugo. Well, first you got to lay the landscape. The landscape is not like it is today. There were three TV stations. There was the newspaper and there were some radio stations. So 
the the information flow was much much smaller and tighter than it is today with the social media um so our tv station we had an old building and uh we knew that we potentially could be damaged the building that is and we left i went to the national weather service i remember that night seven o'clock on thursday evening keep in mind now the eye passed over at midnight later on that night i was driving our over our old Cooper River bridges and Shay and Jared remember these these rickety old things the old Grace Bridge and uh, I was the only car on the bridge there were like five cars from our TV station to the airport where I was with the National Weather Service that night and uh, it was just that eerie feeling of everybody was either at home or gone and I was the only one on the road for a little while and that was pretty eerie and then I stayed the night at the National Weather Service where the storm came right over us. Uh, we got the the first part. We got the eye for about 45 minutes, and then we got the backside. And um, we had a situation where at one time I thought the roof was being pulled off, and I think we had 13 meteorologists running down the hallway as fast as you can imagine going to the bathroom um, because that was the safe area. That was the reinforced structure in that building, and it was it was pretty frightening, no doubt about it. <clears throat> wow. I remember one of the, um, the things that stood out uh, in that storm when you, when you came into looked at the aftermath of it all and uh, you know, some of the, the icons, I mean, besides what you saw on from helicopter views from TV uh, because folks were not allowed to go back out to the islands. They were not permitting right. anyone to go back out there for a bit until they sort of got police presence in, in place and um, had an idea of who had homes left. Uh, but the Ben Sawyer Bridge being twisted and turned and, and uh, upright into the water that stuck out of my mind. Was there were there some, you know, rather large things that, that you remember from the aftermath of Hugo? Well, I remember at the Weather Service, uh, they have a newer building now, but their old building, it was a big open field uh, in front of the building. And I remember coming out the next day and there was a mobile home that was in that field. And I asked the guys, I said, where's the closest mobile home park? And they said, Rob, we don't know. We don't know where this thing came from. Uh, it had probably tumbled down the road. Also, I remember there was a worker who came and, uh, you know, all those things you hear that the airport was gone and Wild Dunes was no more, which is on the Isle of Palms. And uh, you can see some of the video there. And, and again, it was it was pretty daunting. But, yeah, those were some of the first things I remember finally coming back and driving Interstate 26 and looking at those huge um, signs, you know, designating this ramp and this exit. And these are big signs. And many of them were crashed in half like you take a piece of bread and fold it in half. And the power of that, I just could not even imagine. And, and then looking at the aerials from Michael, uh, to be honest with you, reminded me a lot of what the aerials looked like right after Hurricane Hugo. Right, right. Sorry. Yeah, I'm just uh, sort of playing back some uh, video here from Hugo. I don't want to don't want to spend all of our time on Hugo, but uh, this was one of, one of the more memorable storms that, that I remember, you know, this is growing up here. Remember you covering. And um, so we appreciate everything you did there. Going past Hugo, tell us um, maybe some of your more memorable event, events going forward. I know we had a pretty quiet spell of weather for quite some time, maybe a few dustings of snow. Uh, a few wind events, and then maybe Gaston was the first one that sort of rumbled along. Um, there, there were there were a couple of close calls off the coastline, but as far right. as tropics, you know, we we had uh, you know a couple back in the in the late '90s, early 2000s. 
But uh, tell us uh, your experience with overall coastal weather. Like what times of the year have you found more tropical activity or, or the larger scale events to be uh, to affect Charleston more so than any other time of the year? Well, I, I do remember three years after Hugo, of course, there was Andrew and I got a call from a TV station in Miami um, basically that night. And I kind of relived Hugo, uh, hopefully to benefit them. They kind of wanted to know what should we be thinking right now? What should we be feeling right now? Uh, because Andrew was bearing down on South Florida and I kind of had to relive the emotions I could remember uh, three years before with Hurricane Hugo. Then, of course, the mid 1990s and Scotty, no, no slight to North Carolina. But I remember the battle cry was thank God for North Carolina, because between Fran and Bertha and eventually Floyd and uh, there were so many storms that uh, kind of recurve right before they made a landfall here and up into North Carolina. So that was a pretty stressful time. I think, what, 1995, we had like 19 storms. So I'll never forget that. And people here were still very, very, you know, traumatized by Hurricane Hugo just, you know, less than 10 years after. And then uh, as we got into Gaston 2004, I remember, and Shay and Jared, you guys probably remember this, Officially, it was a tropical storm. When it came on shore, it was a tropical storm. But if you looked at the radar signature, it had an eye. It had an eye wall. It was a hurricane. There's no doubt about it. And then they upgraded it, I think, November later on after the storm made landfall. But that kind of that, that kind of formed right off the coast and moved inland. And that really reemphasized to us and reinforced the fact that we, we got to be really ready to go at any time these things can fire up that quickly and it turned out to be you know it wasn't obviously a huge storm but it was enough to get your attention and then after that we had a little bit of a lull for a while of course floyd in 99 we know what happened there with the with the evacuation debacle and and that has actually helped us now and what we had to go through with matthew matthew especially that now we've tested uh, the plan that we really didn't have in place back in 99. Now we do have a plan and it seemed to work out okay. But yeah, coastal weather, uh, hurricane season, June 1st and November 30th, even though they can happen outside of that. Uh, we know that once we get into August, September, that we've got to pay attention and we, and we do. And uh, now obviously the viewers are so much more uh, weather uh, reactive in terms of they know what's going on. They're on the models. They're looking at all the websites so when they call and they ask you questions and they uh, respond to you on social media, they're doing so with a lot of background that they've kind of stored away. Yeah, that was going to lead me to the next question of your um, the audience. Now, you know, the coast coastal areas have developed, right? So we have a lot more people living here. The population growth has has quadrupled since since Hugo, or even more than that. I'm not even sure exactly those numbers, but it, all I know is that it's grown and Charleston's one of the fastest growing cities uh, in America right now. So how, how, do you feel like your message has changed over the years to uh, fit more audience? You, you're having, we're all having to sort of reach out in different manners, right? Social media with smartphones and, um, you know, you're even on, I know we kid around about Snapchat, but that's <laughs> yeah. a, it's a, it's a, it's a rather creative way to get to the younger generation out there, right? So, I mean, you, you know, you want to get to the best algorithm out there that's getting to people the fastest. So tell us a little bit about your experience with how you've been getting the word out uh, the most effective manner for your large audience. Yeah, you named them all, uh, Shay. My daughter's the one who said, uh, Dad, if you want to get to my people, you better get on Snapchat. So uh, I do a Snapcast every day, and when there's bad weather, I'll get on there, and uh, people seem to react, unfortunately or fortunately, depending on how you look at it. 
uh, times have changed where we're not sitting down and watching the news as a family anymore. Uh, people are out on the road and they're on the go and we've got to get to them. And if it's via the phone, that's what we've got to do. So, yes, we've had to change. People always say, well, Rob, you've been doing this for a long time. You probably don't work as hard as you used to. And I'm like, actually, I work harder than I've ever worked before because you're trying to enlighten everybody on every single platform. Channel two, that's our bread and butter. Obviously, we need to make sure that we take care of our audience there. But outside of that, between, you know, social media and radio stations, and obviously you guys do a great job, too, getting uh, in, in a longer form some great information out. And that's what we just don't have an opportunity to do every single night on TV. We have a certain time that we have to tell the story. And I love the long form where you can go in and you can answer specific questions. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's been quite a challenge to try to get to everybody. The, when I got here, Mount Pleasant, I think, was 15,000 people, and I think we're, we're close to 80-plus thousand people now. So that's a lot more people who have moved in. And so, Rob, oh, Chris, you got one. I'm sorry. No, no, no you're fine, Scotty. I was going to do. I was, I was going to kind of tag on to Shay's question because I thought Shay had a great question. Is actually what I was going to ask, but to, to to add on to it, you know, in 30 years of experience, you obviously have learned the tricks of the trade. You know, what what do you find is the best way to combat, you know, people with storm fatigue and and being able to really, you know, take warnings, heed warnings. They're there for a reason. You know, in 30 years, I'm, I'm sure you got some great advice for, you know us, our viewers, and, you know, everybody that may be listening. Yeah, Chris, great question. Um, fortunately, you know, we have had enough storms where the blood has continued to pump through. But there was a time there where I could tell that people were becoming complacent. There have been Hugo. And before uh, Hugo, Gracie in 59 was really the storm that people talked about. So there have been 30 years between Gracie and Hugo when I got here. But um, it, it's tough, though. So many people have moved in. And, uh, you know, I, I don't like the term cry wolf, but it's used quite often when when we say something might happen and it doesn't happen. Uh, people get a little bit complacent there and like, well, I'm not leaving next time. But uh, as we try to express to people on the air, every storm is different. Every storm has its own personality. We have inherent problems here in Charleston. We see streets with water on them on a sunny day when you've got a full or a new moon. So um, it's and then add rain on top of that. It's it's even worse. So I think our viewers and, and, and Jared and Shay could probably back me up on this. We have some really good viewers and community folks who who understand and get it. Um, we just got to make sure that everybody understands. I, I'll, I'll tell you an interesting story. I, I go to a Catholic church on Sullivan's Island and uh, right after Florence, our, our priest, after he gave the homily, after it was all said and done, he said, before I let you guys go, I just want to say this. He said, you know, um, I know a lot of folks are upset about the evacuation and the days off from school and the loss of business. He said, and I saw some people are complaining about it. He said, but in the bottom, the bottom line is, didn't we pray for this, for Florence not to hit us? So I said, I want to use that, Father, because that's good, because that's kind of what we had hoped for. And then when it didn't happen, people were disappointed in a way that it didn't happen, if that makes sense. No, that's 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 a great yeah. point. The um, I know that the uh, the city of Charleston, uh, specifically the mayor, Tecklenburg and, and his staff, are tuning into the to the weather, to the weather service, to the local meteorologist more so than ever. Uh, the constituency is demanding higher resiliency marks, so they're really starting to jump in and figure out what's going on. We had uh, Doug Marcy on from NOAA to talk about sea level rise here last year, and that was a great show. 
but yeah, I mean, we're all tuned into it and we speak about it and we, we try to relay the message, even though we're not uh, hydrologists by trade. Sometimes we are kind of forced into that situation to uh, talk about how the weather exacerbates that as well. So that's a, it's a, it's a tough line to walk, but we have to convey yeah. the message and it's, and it's a repeated thing. It's happening more and more frequently. So we have to factor that into what we're doing. Absolutely. And Shay, you were talking about this and Chris as well, talking about storm fatigue and, and kind of taking things serious. You know, we did have that, that spell in the, in the mid to late 2000s into the 2010s, I guess we could say, of not really having a lot of stuff to combat with the tropics. You know, we may have a few storms here or there, but nothing major. And then, Rob, we were talking at the start of the show the last four years for you guys, even though Joaquin wasn't a hurricane that hit right. Charleston, it still uh, brought devastating uh, flooding to the area. And then we've had Matthew and Irma and, you know, brushes with Florence and, and Michael. So talk to us more recently, uh, starting with Joaquin and the flood. And I think that's how actually you introduced me to Shay, and that's how we got <laughs> Shay on the show. But Joaquin was a major event for you, and it wasn't really a landfalling hurricane. Yeah, that was uh, that was kind of the perfect storm. We had other things. We were going to get rain anyway. Uh, we were going to get a lot of rain anyway. Stalled front, low pressure. But Joaquin, the fire hose effect that we all see on the satellite presentation was uh, – I was sitting here, and I know I talked to Shay a lot during that time too. I was like, I don't, I've never seen anything like that before where it just kept oscillating up and down the coast, Myrtle Beach, back down to us, up to Myrtle Beach, and, and it just kept spraying us. So – and then obviously what happened, you know, in the Midlands, I think, you know, Chris can speak about that, that all of a sudden uh, the water levels with the dams breaking, uh, that all has to come somewhere. And it came down here uh, through the PD and eventually towards the coast. So uh, that was that was something else. I, I that was hard to really put into words what happened then. And of course, then followed up by Matthew and then Irma. And then, as you mentioned, obviously, Florence and Michael this year. Uh, fatigue, boy, that's a tough one. We just got to keep people on their toes. And even though they're tired and they're weary, um, you know, we've got to let them know that each and every storm is a potential threat to us and we have to take it as such. Absolutely. And you're talking about, you know, 2015, the things that we saw up here in the Midlands, I've never seen in my life and, and hope I never, ever see again. You know, we had like six to eight, maybe 10 hours of, of just like, you know, three inch per hour rainfall rates. I mean, just incredible amounts of rain that just didn't stop coming. And I, I think you're absolutely correct. I'm, when you say like, we got to continue to get the message out because it doesn't take 10 storms a year. It only takes one storm for it to be right. you know, the storm everyone, everyone remembers. So definitely. Yeah. And, and Rob, I want to, I want to um, talk about Irma for just a minute because Irma's track was so mm -hmm. at one point, Irma was dead set to hit Charleston. You know, yeah. a couple of days later, it actually hit on the, the West coast of Florida, but for you as and Shay, I'd love to bring Shay and Jared into this because I'm not even sure we've talked about this internally. Communication wise, you know, Charleston's dead set in, in the center of the cone of uncertainty. And a couple of days later, it's in West Florida. How was you able to communicate that with, with your folks? I mean, that that's a dramatic change in just a few days. Well, I think, you know, with the cone of uncertainty and also the models, we were able to convey the fact that it, it, you know, it might go on the other side of Florida. I always use the analogy, you know, these storms don't turn on a dime. It's like a big 18 wheeler coming around the corner. They take a wide turn. So uh, we felt pretty confident that if it didn't go on the other side, the west side of Florida, it might come up Florida. 
And the East Coast would have to be a quick, pretty quick turn for that to happen. But at the end of the day, and you guys know this, uh, the east side of Florida, even though the center went on the other side, probably got worse weather than the west side of Florida. I know we had four tornadoes. We had those rain bands come in, and we had four confirmed tornadoes uh, from Hurricane Irma in addition to all the rain. And, and there was a lot of devastation down to the south in, in uh, uh, Hilton Head Island, Seabrook, Edisto. Uh, some of the a lot of people look here and say, well, it wasn't that bad. Well, you don't have to go too far to find a place where it was pretty bad. Yeah, and I can I can attest to that. Being I was at a folly during Irma, I was at the okay. washout, and uh, it it went downhill so fast out there. And and to see Folly Road completely underwater from Crosby Seafood all the way to the mainland, you know, back to James Island was absolutely unreal. You know, the damage I saw with Irma, especially out around Folly and, and James Island, was was on par with Matthew because I was yeah. in, you know, bluffed in for the the eye wall of Matthew as it skirted. I mean, it was it was impressive. Yeah. And the one thing Irma did that Matthew couldn't was dislodge the folly boat. So, <laughs> oh man, iconic. And that was put there by Hugo. Yeah, that's and, true. That's true. And, and so, you know, so Irma, I mean, it, it definitely brought, you know, it, it definitely whacked us. I mean, there, there was that, it was the third one of those three years where we had seen the second highest tide in the harbor compared to Hugo. And I mean, that was just, that was a very harrowing thing. I mean, there was a lot of flooding at the same time we had the tornado warnings. At the same time, we had, um, you know, some a good bit of wind impact uh, along the coast. You know, Chris, you know, he was down there. Yeah, we we'll did some things I'll never do again. <laughs> yeah, he did some things you never do again. I remember watching those videos with you. <laughs> and, and, I mean, you it learned. was, um, oh, yeah. And that was a hard one. To, that was a hard one to message because, yeah, it was going into Western Florida, and it's like, oh, but the cone, we're we're out of the cone. There's no, there's no problem now. We're out of the cone. I, I kept, right. you know, I, I kept taking calls and and and, and messages from friends. It's like it's like y'all are really freaking us out about this, and it's like there's going to be something. I remember doing a live stream uh, for Post and Courier during Irma, and uh, somebody was like, oh, you're just trying to get your 15 minutes of fame. It's like, no, that's that's not it. This is actually going to do something. This is not going to be a non-event. It might not be as bad as it could be, but it's going to be, you know, but it's not going to be a non-event. And so, you know, we've had a few of those, uh, Robin, and, and I'd be curious to know, like, you know, how you try to go about messaging that, messaging that uncertainty, because that's the really, that that's the thing that we have the hardest time with. And I think uh, because folks are so educated now on the weather, because social media allows everybody to go and look at the models and, and there's some wonderful websites out there that people can use and trust. I think when we give the message, they, they already have an idea what may or may not happen. But I think by showing the different models, whether it be the European or the GFS or the NAM or the WARF or you know, any of those models, I think if you lay it out and you give it to people, in, in a nice, concise manner and say, listen, this could happen or this can happen. We just don't know, but we have to be prepared for either one. I think most people can relate to that. They, they understand that weather is going to change, and, and especially with tropical weather, uh, these storms do have a mind of their own. I know that's a cliche, but it really does kind of come into play because we've seen storms do some really strange things. Um, but I think we can convey that message to our viewers. And then for those who have moved in here, we have to reassure them that you know, the best part about hurricane forecasting is we can see them. Uh, we know what's going on. We can't stop them. We can't control them. But at least we know they're out there. And 
and we're going to let you know and step you through what you need to do just in case we are impacted. Well, that, that leads me into the next question. Unless unless there's any other questions from the panel, I do have a viewer question. I want to get to Rob before uh, he signs off. Does he might have anything to uh, add real quick? I wanted to briefly talk about um, this year's snow event that you guys had. <laughs> I know, you know, we've talked about hurricanes and, and flooding, uh, but not a lot of people associate Charleston with winter weather. And this wasn't just a measly snow. This was a, a crippling winter storm that caused several days worth of issues in Charleston. So uh, as we kind of wrap up the weather portion of it, talk to us a little bit about what occurred earlier this year in, in January. Well, I'll tell you what, it, this was an easy one to forecast. Most of our snow events or ice events are ridiculously hard to forecast because it's a matter of a degree here or there that we may or may not get to. In this situation, we already had cold air in place. We were just waiting for the moisture. And once the moisture got here, we knew it was going to change over from a cold rain to a snow or ice first and then snow. So uh, this was a lot less difficult to forecast. Uh, I think what surprised us probably was the length of time that we had those cold temperatures. I mean, it was our coldest start ever to the year. And, uh, you know, highs were in the 30s, lows in the 20s. And it was just ridiculously cold. And snow stayed on some – I know at my house, my house is shaded more. And we had snow on the ground at our house for, you know, five, six, seven days. So, um, yeah, it took a while for that snow to melt. But we don't get to see that. Usually we get a snow – it might be a light snow and then it's gone the next day because the temperatures have warmed. But in this case, we were pretty locked in with the cold air. And that was probably one of the more unusual snow events for us here. And uh, again, we have bridges, we have overpasses, we have areas that we've got to keep an eye on because people travel over those. And it was quite, uh, quite an interesting scenario. I remember I seeing that I would be. Oh, sorry, Scotty. No, go ahead. I go never ahead. thought that I would be a snowbird driving to Miami from Charleston, but that's <laughs> how I got my first 60-degree temperatures of 2018. I had to drive to Florida, slip and slide in a little bit, but we made it there. And, uh, yeah, that was, a, that was a wild one. I mean, yeah. you know, that, that, was, uh, that was nearly – it was nearly unprecedented. Um, and it was kind of fun for a few days, and then yeah. it got really old really fast. Yeah. <laughs> Scotty, uh, go my friend. Nice. Two model indicated snow events, and and or maybe three, and we were like, okay, is it gonna happen now? Because the cold air is here. Is it gonna happen now? And once you saw the weather service put the snowboard out a couple of days at a time, it was like, all right, now I can breathe easy, knowing that we can go ahead and start forecasting for this. Yeah, yeah. You know, Jared, we we were doing our our live stream in here, and I think we had the camera out at Somerville, and just to see it progressively get snowier and snowier. And at one point, I think it was a complete whiteout, but uh. I remember just seeing some of the uh, some of the pictures of 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 the snow covered palm trees of downtown Charleston and stuff and yeah. just something like you said, Rob. You guys don't get a lot of, but I, I'm sure when all the busyness and chaos uh, of covering it on TV, I'm sure you got to enjoy just a little bit of it because it maybe remind you a little bit of Green Bay. Oh yeah, we had a we had a snow fight or two here, and we actually what was interesting is we we recorded some winter promos while it was snowing because. <laughs> We normally don't see that in real life. We have to kind of put that on the green screen. But it was kind of interesting to do that. But yeah, like I said before, I think once we got the, uh, the seriousness of the ice underneath and then we on the air, we were wall to wall. We could have fun with it because people were having fun with it. But we had to make sure that people understood driving and, and those kinds of things. Uh, I would not advise. But if you want to go out in your front yard, have a, build a snowman and have a snowball fight, go for it.
Definitely. So some good times. Well, Shay, I know you had uh, some viewer questions. We're, we're getting to the top of the hour. So we got to, we got to let Rob get ready for the 10 PM news, but uh, Shay's got some viewer questions. And then I got just a couple of things towards the end of the show. So Shay, go ahead. Sure. Sure. I got one, one viewer question and it's from a, uh, a mutual um, viewer here, Meredith Kennerty, you know her. Oh she yes. Meredith. Meredith. Great. Uh, and she asks, can I ask what weather changes are on the way for the East Coast for Charleston County in the next few weeks? Now, we know we have the beginnings of our first Nor'easter event starting yes. here. From, so I'll let you take the wheel. Yeah, that you know, obviously, we've got uh, some rain most likely coming this way and cooler temperatures. What we're a little concerned about is potential for uh, maybe that low to come inland a little bit. and We get in the, in the warm sector uh, tomorrow night and early Friday could see some thunderstorms. Uh, even the potential for tornadoes, uh, that's not out of the, the question, not off the table right now. So that's the track of the storm, still a little bit uncertain, but we'll continue to fine tune that. Meredith is always very loyal and, and uh, loves to watch and, and hear about the weather. After that, uh, I think we're, we're going to continue the roller coaster ride that we've been on here lately. What's interesting is we just had our warmest September on record, and really the first three weeks of October blowing away the warmest October on record. If the month stopped today, I think the average temperature is right now 75 degrees. It would be the warmest October on record, but we know uh, that the temperatures are going to cool down. We're going to chip away at that. We're still probably going to have one of our warmer Octobers, but probably not the warmest when it's all said and done. Here we've got a week left to go. I was going to say, uh, Cindy joining in tonight, Angie both saying hello, and they love to watch you on, on TV, Rob. Uh, Catherine talking about you being able to go visit uh, schools and, and talk yes. to weather about the kids. Uh, you do a, uh, a kids' weather picture, I think, every day. So kind of talk to us maybe a little bit about that. Well, I'll tell you what. I, uh, the weather pictures I love, uh, we have a 4 o'clock now, so we do weather pictures at 4 and 5. So any of the folks listening and watching here from Charleston, you have kids, have them draw a picture and send it in. But um, I'll, I'll be honest with you guys. Uh, probably the most fun I have is going to schools. Uh, there is nothing like getting in a room full of 100 second graders or fourth graders. Those are the two grades that usually study weather here in South Carolina. And they're big, wide-eyed, and it's not because the guy in front – hey, there's a weather picture. It's not because the guy in, in front of them is on TV. It's just they love to talk about weather. They love to tell you stories. And I, that kind of fuels me. If I'm tired, it's been a long week, and I've, I've stayed up late, and I've lost some sleep – you walk into the classroom, it just re-energizes you. So we get some really good weather pictures in, some really insightful pictures. And probably one of the higher compliments I've gotten was from a mom who uh, her child had uh, drawn a storm as a big monster and, and had kind of really struggled with storms and got very scared. And so what the mom said when she saw her picture that I showed on the air she realized that that's how her daughter perceived storms as a monster, and they were able to kind of work through that just a little bit. So uh, in a way, maybe a little bit of therapy. But, yeah, that, talking to the kids, that's, that's one of the, the, the best things that I get to do in my job. Very lucky and very blessed to do that. That's really cool. And, and I know kids, they, they love weather. They love talking about all that. Um, one more question before we let you go. Okay. Uh, this is a, a new series that we're doing here on Carolina Weather Group. We, we bring in meteorologists at least once a month like you. And last week, last month we had Damon Lane. We kind of talk about the city that you're in. So uh, for those who may have never visited Charleston, what, what are some things that you recommend, play, things you like to do in, in Charleston, maybe a few restaurants you like to visit, and, and, and maybe uh, just some cool things about Charleston that, that folks may not know? 
Oh, gosh, it's a great place. I love the beach, love downtown. We probably don't go downtown enough. In fact, when I go downtown, it's usually because we have people in from out of town that I'm showing them around. And my comment is always, why don't I do this more? Uh, just park and just walk. Um, we have a wonderful farmer's market every Saturday morning. Um, we have uh, what's called Second Sunday. Every second Sunday, they close down King Street to uh, vehicular traffic, and it's all pedestrian up and down. It's a great time to come, especially when the weather's nice, which is most of the time here. What else? The aquarium's nice. Hall's Chop House, best steaks in town. Uh, a little pricey, but you know it's worth every, every penny because they, they have great service down there. And then I like a lot of restaurants here in Mount Pleasant where I live and where the TV station is. Uh, and, again, there's a lot to do in Charleston. If you can't find something to do, it's, it's probably your own fault because they're, they're – <laughs> There's a lot going on for, for sure. And I know Jared and, and Shay can back that up. And Chris has been here. Folly Beach is a cool place. There's no doubt about it. But uh, there's, a lot of, uh, there's a lot to do here in Charleston. Yeah, we're like still going to get you out kiteboarding with us, Rob. We're going to get you out there one day. <laughs> That's, uh, uh, one of these days <laughs> I need to do that. <laughs> All right, Rob. Uh, before we have you uh, promote your social media, one quick question. What's the outlook for the Packers this year? I know we're ha almost halfway through the NFL season. What what can we expect for the uh, for the rest of the season? All right, we're three, two, and one right now. I spent some time in Green Bay, and the vibe is really good. Aaron's got his brace off. We've got Randall Cobb back. Um, Geronimo Allison, our two big receivers, in addition to Devontae Adams coming back. Um, I wish we could have signed Khalil Mack. That would have helped the defense, but. We're just going to outscore people, Scotty. We'll, we'll, get, we'll give up some points on defense, but we're, except that we got the Rams and we got the Patriots back-to-back. -back. So yeah. I think the, the next two games will really – I'll come back on the show after those two games are over, and I'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll let you know. I feel pretty good, but we got to play them on the road, and we're playing two of the better, obviously the best teams in the NFL over the next couple of weeks. So this will really be a telling tale of how the Packers' season will go after this. But you have absolutely one of the best quarterbacks there is, and that's Aaron Rodgers. And when well, Aaron Rodgers on the field, you always have a chance to win. And let me tell you, I was there Monday night watching them beat the San Francisco 49ers. And anytime you got Aaron on your team, you have a chance. That's right. Well, Rob, we really appreciate having you with us. For uh, Thanks for uh, giving us some of your time. If our followers and listeners on the podcast want to follow you on, on social media, including Snapchat, how can they do yes. that? Well, Rob Storm Team 2 on Instagram, on um, Facebook, Rob Fowler on Facebook, and Rob Fowler WX Weather on Snapchat. And Twitter is Rob Storm Team 2. So if you search Rob Fowler, you'll probably find me somewhere. We're, we're trying to be all over the place, no doubt about it. I haven't, haven't gotten into a couple of things yet. I don't understand. I'm old. So some of these <laughs> social media things, you know, but I'm trying to do the best I can. Oh, we got one more question from Scott Franklin, and we talked about this pre-show. When's the mustache coming back? <laughs> uh, okay, so what is it? It's the 24th. So I, uh, I shaved the mustache after having it for 20 years and haven't had it. There it is, the mustache, the big old glasses, too, back in Hurricane Hugo coverage. And uh, <laughs> so we started doing this a few years ago, growing it back. I'm going to grow it back for the month of November, for Movember, for men's health. And uh, I'll have it on the whole month of November. So uh, I appreciate folks who like the mustache. My wife is used to me without it now. So uh, I'll bring it back for one month uh, each and every year. If I get a pair of those glasses from the 70s and bring them to you, will you wear them? I would absolutely wear them. If you, uh, look, at, if you look at Mayor Joe Riley, he had the big glasses too. That was yeah, his style back then. He sure so. did. 
Uh, well, Rob, again, we appreciate it. We always love having you on the show. Thanks for being a friend to the show. And uh, we wish you a quiet uh, rest of the fall season. Hopefully no more uh, sneaky tropical systems. And uh, we hope uh, you have a good rest of the year. And we look forward to having you back on soon. Hey, thanks, guys. It's my pleasure. And thank you guys for what you do. Thank you. No problem. And that's uh, Rob Fowler, everyone, from uh, WCBD there in Charleston, South Carolina. Always happy to have uh, Rob on with us. He's going to hop off and get ready for uh, the news tonight. So, uh, Shay, uh, we were going to talk a little bit about the tropics. Uh, that was kind of a big subject tonight in Charleston weather. And uh, though it's been a quiet over the past uh, week or so, there is an area of interest that you're watching out there. Uh, yeah, there sure is, Scotty. I'm trying to pull it up on the screen right now. And uh, we're watching one area. Let me get the NHC up again. I wonder what I did with it. Why do I always do this? I always have it up. Oh, there we go. Okay, cool. Uh, so let me go ahead and share the screen. And, um, you know, we're, we're just sort of, um, we're on the downslope, right? We're, we're past that secondary peak or what we call the October bump. And so we're, we're starting to slowly ebb downwards in the hurricane season. It does not officially end until uh, November the 30th. So we still have potential out there. And one of the things that we see right now, we have an area of disturbance. This is Invest 95L. And let me pull this up a little bit where you can see over the lower third. And what we have, uh, we have an area of disturbance that has a 70% chance to develop over the next five days. Uh, right now it's in a, not, not so much of a conducive environment, but as it lifts north and then heads to the west, jogs a little bit to the west, it gets in a more relaxed area of upper shear, which means it does have a shot becoming our next name storm, which could become Oscar. Now, it doesn't look like it's going to be able to make it to the East Coast. And one of the reasons for that is because we have a lot of unsettled weather coming across the country. We have Great Lakes high pressure with a Northeast wedge, and we have a cold front, and we have a low pressure system, and we have another high, then we have another low. And so what, what, what that means is that there's a lot of activity going from West to East across the country that will likely take whatever is there away from the coastline. So that the chances are pretty high for this never making it to the East Coast, but we always have to watch for any shifts or changes that would occur. The sea surface temperatures are warm enough still to sustain an environment, a surface environment of warm sea surface temperatures. This being right about in this area here, it's gonna be heading towards warmer, generally warmer sea surface temperatures. Uh, Bermuda really should be watching this system right now. And that's about as far west as I think it's going to make it. If it goes any further west, I have a strong feeling or a strong suspicion that it would get pulled away from the coastline. Uh, it's just a little bit too early to tell. The models are being a little bit shifty. There's not a lot of agreement. There isn't a lot of uh, continuity in what we're looking at. But for right now, for this track, is what we're looking for for the next five days. So it doesn't look like it's going to go anywhere, anywhere fast. But Bermuda should be on the watch for this because we've seen storms near the N's and the O's towards this time of the year. Nicole comes to mind from a couple of years back. And we thought that would only be a minimal category one hurricane and it actually rapidly intensified into a category three and hit Bermuda. And so this is the time of the year where these little small surprises can exist and uh, really take a good crack at Bermuda. And Bermuda is just kind of out there like a big target for these systems that uh, tend to drift towards the west and they get pulled away from the coast. They end up coming up from the south and uh, taking a good swipe at them. So um, I always think back on storms like Nicole, just for a reference point. Uh, so that, that's what we're looking at right now. Everything else looks okay in the Atlantic Basin, nothing in the uh, Gulf of Mexico to look that we were watching the Western Caribbean for a little bit, but everything sort of has calmed down there. And um, that's it for 
the Atlantic Basin. We are under El Nino watch. We're very close. I think we're very close to getting an El Nino designation uh, in the Pacific Ocean, in the equatorial Pacific. So we'll be watching for that. And next month, usually that will come out sometime, maybe the second week of November, uh, when NOAA releases the ENSO diagnostic or the, um, the PDF, they'll come out with a product that tells us whether or not they've gone ahead and leaned on an El Nino instead of an El Nino watch. Uh, but they may keep the watch going for a little bit longer. Uh, either way, that's going to have some impacts along the East Coast. And we'll be talking a bit more about that in our future shows as we get closer to that time. Back to you, Scotty. Thank you for that, Shay. Uh, I sent a message in our little internal chat here. I don't know if Chris or Jared's seen it. Um, but we do have a storm system that looks to uh, be affecting the uh, the Carolinas, both North and South Carolina. So first I'll go to Chris to kind of give us a setup of what's going to happen, and then we'll give it to Jared, who, uh, Jared, you'll, you and Shay both will be monitoring the severe threat along the coastline. Awesome. So, yeah. Glad you mentioned that, Scotty. I actually had it pulled up here. But um, what's going to happen here over the next day or so, we're going to have a, a surface area low pressure that's going to develop over the northern Gulf Coast. Uh, and as it uh, moves off to the east, it's going to give us all kinds of funky weather. I'm going to share my screen here. And uh, this is the NAM high-resolution model. Basically, we're just going to go out in time here. We're going to go to uh, Thursday. Let's go to tomorrow afternoon. Uh, let's see here. Boop, boop, boop. But right here, here's, here's tomorrow noon. You can see temps across the area is going to be in the mid 50s to uh, low 60s. And then as we go forward in time by tomorrow evening, we're going to hit about 60. And then you see this cold start to invade us from the north. That's as the wedge builds in uh, with high pressure that's going to be situated over New England. Now, that's going to give us our cold air at the surface. Uh, with that being said, uh, we're going to have a surface load that's going to move across Florida and it's going to come skirting up the east coast. And as I go forward here through time, this is Friday at uh, noon, two o'clock Friday afternoon, you can see 45 degrees in Spartanburg with it being uh, darn near 70 at uh, in Charleston, with it being right around 50 in, in the Midlands around Columbia. You know, some of the some of the stuff I've seen, I, you know, I don't know if we're going to be able to get out of the 40s in Columbia on Friday, which is, uh, you know, kind of crazy to think about. And then, you know, looking at the precipitation factor of it. It uh, looks like most of the precepts going to hold off until early Friday morning, probably pre-dawn, 4 to 6 a.m.-ish Friday morning, uh, starting in the upstate in the Midlands and then eventually get down to the coast. And as I go on through time here, this is uh, Friday by noon. Uh, you can see how rain just starts to cover up the entire area for the most part. And then by Friday afternoon, there may be a little bit of a dry slot that develops as the center of low pressure moves up the uh, Grand Strand and starts heading out toward uh, you know Cape Hatteras and the Outer Banks. And you know just have to watch basically – that track, uh, exactly where it goes, is going to be determinate on the kind of weather we get. I know the SPC has uh, Charleston area in a marginal risk for Friday uh, for severe weather with the chance of uh, maybe a couple tornadoes, just depending on the on the track of the load. And so that's going to be really important to uh, you know, really see uh, where that load tracks, and, and only time will tell with that. Um, as far as rainfall totals, uh, probably somewhere in the ballpark of a half to one inch depending on how much rain actually sets up and, and if that dry slot comes, you know, you know, comes to fruition. But uh, for the most part, you know, we're looking somewhere, you know, across most of South Carolina between like, like I think Shay's got on the screen here uh, between a half and, and maybe a, maybe a little bit over an inch uh, up in the foothills in the mountains uh, up toward you, Scotty. Yeah, it's going to be a cold, rainy day on Friday. And uh, like you said, we'll probably, we're forecasting, maybe if I can get that out, about an inch of rain here. So it's a cold, miserable day. I did want to bring in Jared here and, and Shay as well. 
Uh, you guys living in the Charleston area, as Chris was alluding to, depending on the storm track, you guys could see some active weather down there tomorrow into Friday. Yeah, we sure yeah, could. That, this storm is basically, um, and I did want to mention this before when we were talking about tropics, that it is remnants of Hurricane Willa that landed in Mexico near Isla de Bosque, which is the Isle, the Isle of uh, Forest, um, just south of Mazatlan. And uh, that barreled into the coast with winds of 120 miles per hour. So they've they've had a a rather harrowing experience with a major Category Three hurricane there. Uh, and so that went across Mexico. It's on its trek across northeastern Mexico now. It will emerge along the northern Gulf states and acquire some energy along the tail end of the cold front. So all of this is a surgent remnant low of Hurricane Willa that is producing this energy from one basin to another, from the Pacific to the Atlantic basin. And that's going to trigger this nor'easter. Uh, but I'll let Jared get into the details of the uh, severe weather that we have on tap. Go ahead, Jared. So uh, thanks, Ray. So uh, if you were looking, at, if you're watching Chris's uh, graphics closely, uh, you'll notice that there was a little sliver of warm along the coast. And and typically, what happens, you get these low pressure systems that that track up. They wobble a little bit inland. And uh, what can happen here is that we can get some severe weather. Uh, as uh, these uh, storms tend to ride up the coast there uh, with the additional wind shear on that side of the storm and uh, and that little warm inflow from the southeast, you know, that can set up some uh, decent uh, wind shear, maybe a little bit of a, yeah, this might be one of those uh, uh, wonderful uh, high shear, low cape events possibly. So we'll have to keep an eye on that. But there is a marginal risk, one out of five, uh, along basically coastal South Carolina for Friday. So... Tomorrow it's going to be, you know, tomorrow we're going to be uh, kind of transitioning. Clouds are going to come up and it's going to start raining later in the day. Later in the day, Friday is probably going to be, you know, it's going to be our rainiest day. It's going to be a rather sharp temperature gradient too. You know, as Chris mentioned, it was, it, you know, it's going to be, they might struggle to get out of the forties of Columbia, struggle to get out of the fifties, maybe in Monk's corner, but you know, depending on, again, depending on where this sets up, it could be in the seventies in Charleston. So we'll see how that kind of shakes out there, but uh, but again, you know, something to watch, you know, and it's not going to be a, an outbreak, although we joke internally that marginal risk is usually a higher risk. Um, the marginals are our busiest days around here. But um, again, we you know, don't want to put anybody, uh, you know, too concerned. But, you know, it, it's something that we're going to need to watch. We're going to need to keep an eye on this and just make sure that everything is... Um, uh, you know, that everything is behaving the way it is. And, you know, there will be tweaks in the track. There will be adjustments, um, just as there are with every storm. So just make sure you know, just stay tuned. Um, it is October. It is fall. I think the one certain thing that we're going to be dealing with is coastal flooding. Um, minor to moderate coastal flooding at times of high tide. We've got a, we got a full moon right now. We'll be coming right out of that. And uh, with onshore flow uh, pointed towards the coast, um, expect to see some flooded roads in Charleston and then add on any rain. Yeah, maybe not so good. Shay's got the uh, he's got the ET surge guidance up here, and again, we so probably uh, looks like that's a yeah, that's a 11 a.m. 10 11 a.m. Yeah, just Do before noon, some just yeah, before just noon, around 11 o'clock a.m. or so. Um, and, and the forecast is to possibly hit what's called hat value or high astronomical tide value. So that that verbiage is listed in uh, the weather service. Uh, predictions right now that is a possibility so uh, mm -hmm. coastal flooding could be nuisance flooding could be uh, on the table yeah it gets about 7.5 feet you start seeing some roads close uh in the charleston area so that'll be uh watch 
Yeah, some some to uh, some to throw on uh, to everybody out there watching us. You know, th this system that we're seeing, I know me and Shay had talked about it on my Facebook page last night, and uh, also earlier before our show. But this is a winter system. This is something that you see usually in January, February, and uh, you know, uh, in the weather world, uh, you usually have two types of systems: a Miller A system, Miller B system. This is going to be an A where where you have one surface that tracks across Florida and up the East Coast and becomes a nor'easter as it tracks you know northeastward. So it, it's just pretty cool to see this uh, happen, you know, in October. Uh, like Rob was talking about earlier, we had this, you know, such warm weather for a long time, and you can really think Hurricane Michael. Uh, Michael really helped to uh, to really uh, break down the ridge that was over the northeastern United States that that's just kept us so warm, and it's allowed for this trophy, you know, colder weather, uh, you know, more stormy weather to, uh, I guess, overtake the East Coast. So it, it's crazy how that all works. Yeah, yeah really just for January. If this was January or February, what happened? Really worry about losing rain. Sorry, guys. Wow, that was a that was a set fest there. Sorry, Jerry. Order the dance. You know, I just just tacking on. You know, if it was January or February, we'd be really concerned about potentially you know, get a wedge like this. We'd certainly potentially that freezing rain. If not, maybe that S word, the S dash 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 word. Um, you know, we be careful with that word. Our people, our people up here are already saying, man, we've already got cheated and it's not even wintertime yet. Talking about the setup, they were all giddy. They was like, man, it's a perfect setup for snow, but it's just not that time of the year yet. So, But, uh, you know, uh, you guys are talking about the nuisance flooding. I want to bring up, um, before we do Tweets of the Week, our uh, guest we had on a few weeks ago, back in August, my coast. Uh, you definitely could download that app and snap some pictures of that nuisance flooding there in the Charleston area and along the uh, the low the uh, the South Carolina coast and and send that in. I know that our friends there would love to see those uh, pictures and it's kind of what that app's for is to kind of give documentation purposes of these events uh, uh, and different levels. You can kind of see what's going on. So a little shout out to my coast and go down download their app and snap some pictures of the uh, the coastal flooding the nuisance flooding there in the Charleston area. And also tag uh, Shay and Jared in them too. They would love to uh, to share it out. And I'm sure James will have some live footage uh, rolling uh, in Charleston uh, if we do start to see some some flooding there. So, uh, guys, I guess before we uh, log off, we'll do Tweets of the Week. So does anybody have one pulled up? I got mine. All right, go ahead, Chris. We'll let you start off tonight. All right, uh, mine comes to Jeff Petrowski uh, down across Mexico Beach, Florida. I know we've been uh, talking a lot about uh, Hurricane Michael, but uh, here's a, a, a life vest PFD found in a tree, uh, you know, 15 foot above ground level north of Highway 98, which Highway 98, for those of you that might not be aware, is like, kind of like the, uh, I guess, the, be the beach road, if you will. Uh, and so th this was actually found on the, on the, I guess, the inland side of the, of the highway, 15 foot up in a tree. Uh, so seeing that's pretty remarkable. Uh, you know, feel pretty sure that uh, storm surge or something probably put it there. But I uh, can't wait to see what some of the, the official numbers are uh, from storm surge across the, really the Mexico Beach area, Bay County, Florida area from Michael over the next week or so, uh, maybe two to three weeks. We'll see. Yeah, I saw that. That was amazing. And also, Chris, you shared on your Facebook page of the cell phone tower that. Yeah, yeah. Let's uh, see if I could. Uh, I'll have that pulled up by the time you guys get done with that. All right. Uh, Jared, do you have one pulled up? I just got it. Right. Time beautifully. All right. So um, <laughs> the United States may have taken its strongest hurricane hit ever today uh, from the strongest hit from tropical cyclone. This is Typhoon U2, not to be confused with Bono <laughs> and the Edge. 
Um, but this is a very serious storm. This uh, hits it hit the, uh, the Commonwealth of the Northern Mariana Islands. Uh, this is the United States territory. A lot of people there. A lot of NOAA people there. Our friend, uh, you know, uh, Shay, our friend Doug was just there a, a week or two ago. Um, checking out some of the efforts out there. I have I have a friend out there uh, right now who is uh, uh, who is ver as hunkered down as she could be. Um, this is her, this is the third storm that they've dealt with, and this is by far the hardest hit. May have had 180 mile an hour winds uh, at the time it hit. The island of Saipan stayed in the eye wall the entire time. The uh, island of Tinian, I hope I'm saying that correctly, I, um, was completely engulfed in the eye. This is a shot from Jim Ed's at Extreme Storms. Um, and in, in all of Tinian is in the eye. And that must have been quite a sight with a full moon. But uh, the uh, damage is not great. It, it's it's, it's uh, not good. It's going to be hard to get comms off of an island for a while. There have been some uh, photos floating about. We'll authenticate those and pass those along. Um, but, you know, it, the 180-mile-an-hour storm, kind of just crazy to think about and, uh, you know, how these typhoons tend to bomb out. And this is just going to keep on keeping on over the next couple weeks uh, as it uh, heads uh, as it heads uh, westward. Uh, this is uh, towards... Uh, you know, uh, you know, <laughs> of J Japan and, and maybe the Philippines and those areas. So very concerning, very, uh, very nasty hit. We're, we'll, we'll see if anybody got a pressure reading from this, Scotty, but um, it was, uh, it was not good. It was a sub 910 mil bars estimated by a uh, satellite. Wow. And, you know, Shay was talking about, Shay, I'll bring you in. You're talking about teleconnections. This will have an effect on our weather too. Maybe not in the near future, but kind of shifting, uh, Chris was talking about as well, it kind of shifts the weather patterns. It's crazy how weather uh, in the Pacific can control our weather here in the South. So, uh, but yeah, Jay, you have your, your tweet of the week up. Yeah. I was going to add, I mean, a lot of those storms, those, those super typhoons, they end up, they scoot off to the North really quickly and they join the Northwest Pacific jet and they just race along it with a surge of energy that ends up creating what's called a Rossby wave over the United States. And, and what that translates to, is these giant dips in the jet stream, uh, which come all the way down to the deep south and parts of the southeast, and, and you have cold air injections and just further instability of weather across the U.S. So um, it's this time of the year, we start to see an uptick in these super typhoons and some of these heavier storms out there that give the, the north, we call it the, um, the NPAC or the, the, the NPJ, North Pacific Jet, those surges, those injections of energy that uh, precipitate downstream all the way across the United States. So what happens over there transfers to here. You know, it's, it's not, oh, it's just storming over there. Well, everything affects globally all the way around the planet. So uh, where one storm affects somewhere, it has uh, a transfer effect in another area a lot of times too. Uh, let's see, my tweet of the week. Uh, mine is more um, kind of ongoing. I just kind of picked up on this story a little bit ago. So I'm not up to, totally up to date, uh, but there's a huge fire intense wildfire going on near San Luciano at, at Gordino, Paluno, North Italy uh, this afternoon. So I don't know if you can see it here, but it's it's a pretty intense fire in a very deep gorge. And, uh, and, and there's some really strong winds driving this through the valleys, uh, the mountainous areas there. And, uh, you know, Scotty, you of all people know that uh, once these things start in the mountains with high winds, there's no stopping them. I mean, there's definitely no stopping them. And, and they jump over mountain peaks to other valleys and they spread very quickly. 
So uh, our thoughts are with them in Italy. I'm going to find out a little bit more what's going on. I just want to give some breaking news on that so people kind of tune in and are aware of what's going on in major. I and mean, this is not very common in that area either. Yeah, definitely. So that, uh, you know, the only way to combat that is by air. You know, we drop in uh, flame retardant material from the sky. So um, that's definitely uh, thoughts for them. We were dealing with that a couple of years ago here. Thankfully, uh, we haven't had to deal with that lately. But um, wildfires in, in the mountains are not good. Let me, uh, I hate doing this because I don't like sharing my own tweet, but I really found this fascinating. Um, this was uh, over the weekend, we had that strong cold front that moved through the area. And Appalachian State University, uh, they've assembled a, a weather station on top of Grandfather Mountain. And Grandfather Mountain is one of the highest locations in North Carolina besides Mount Mitchell. And so this was a reading uh, that uh, was um, over the weekend. And you can see the winds at that time was only 10 miles an hour and temperature 37. But if you look down here, I highlighted it. The <coughs> max, maximum wind gust over the weekend on Grandfather Mountain was 102 miles per hour as that, uh, that cold front moved through and that northwest flow really kicked in. We had some snow over in um, eastern Tennessee in the, uh, the Rome Mountain uh, Carver's Gap area and then up in Snowshoe Mountain up in West Virginia. A few flakes in, in North Carolina mountains, but the, uh, the wind was the major story. In fact, the uh, Woolly Worm Festival that takes place in Avery County every year was, uh, was closed for uh, Sunday. Uh, all the uh, tent displays and, and the merchants there, um, I, I'm not sure what happened there. If there was no communication because high wind warnings were posted for Saturday night. Uh, but a lot of the material and stuff was destroyed by the wind. So um, unfortunately, it shut down the Woolly Worm Festival for uh, Sunday. And that's a big event in the Banner Elk community. So again, some uh, very damaging winds that took place over the weekend in the North Carolina mountains. And this weekend, if you're heading up to the North Carolina mountains, you could see some snow up there Saturday night. It looks like the first uh, real chance to see some accumulating snow will happen in the North Carolina mountains is that second. As the nor'easter pulls off, we start to get this northwest flow uh, pull back in and, and we could definitely see some uh, snowfall in the North Carolina mountains this this uh, weekend. So uh, snow before Halloween always makes all the folks up there, especially in ski country, happy. And uh, hopefully they can get their snow up there this weekend. It'll be a great snow uh, season for, for the North Carolina mountain folks. So um, Chris, I think I've seen you had your, the photo up the, the, uh, the cell phone tower. We'll, we'll yeah. see that. And then we'll, uh, we'll kind of close from there. Yeah. And the roller coaster. Yeah, exactly. I mean, just, you know, I'm sure there's somewhere down in Florida, but you know, that's pretty impressive, you know, especially from the standpoint, you know, most cell towers are different than a lot of your old school TV towers. You know, they're, they're freestanding. They're not, you know, held up by guy wires or anything like that. And, you know, you just see this entire structure is just absolutely bent over uh, like a toothpick. And a lot of things with the truss design uh, uh, right here in the middle where my mouse is, you know, the truss design is only as good as the trusses are. Once the trusses fail, there's nothing to hold it up. So I'm sure at some point there was a weak point and, you know, it looks like Hurricane Michael exploited that weak point and uh, then that cell phone tower over. It's pretty insane. I'm not sure which company that is, Chris, but that may explain yeah. why there's very limited Verizon service down there. It could very well. <laughs> Can you hear me now? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> I know a lot of folks are still down there talking about, you know, there, there's not really a lot of service down there. And that may be why, because I know Verizon's not working too well down there. So um, thank you for that photo. And so next week, guys, uh, I don't know about you, but I think we're all happy. It's an off week for us. Uh, it is Halloween and a lot of our panelists have a kid. So we're going to enjoy the, uh, the trick or treating and stuff like that. 
We're going to take a break because, uh, gentlemen, I think uh, since the last part of August, we've been dealing with hurricanes, uh, Florence and then Michael. And so it's uh, it's time for a little bit of a break and we're going to kick back and relax next week. But we're still going to have a show. Uh, myself and uh, uh, Chris and James was able to attend the uh, weather uh, weather fest or um, what was the name of it, Chris? Was it weather fest? Oh, man. Fest. Candace is going to kick my butt if I don't get this right. It was Weatherfest. It was up at the uh, Schneel Museum back in August. Uh, myself and Chris and James, we recorded a podcast up there with some video uh, talking with some of the different vendors and stuff. So we're going to air that next week. Uh, you're going to see that. And then uh, we're going to be back on air live on uh, November the 7th. We're going to be talking with Doug Kilderbrand from NOAA. is actually the uh, brand coordinator of the Weather Ready Nation. And we're W. Uh, we're Weather Ready Nation ambassadors as well as Charleston Weather and South Carolina Weather and Shea with Weatherflow and myself with Foothills Weather Network. So uh, we're all Weather Ready uh, Nation ambassadors as well as Carolina Weather Group. So we're going to be talking about the Weather Ready Nation and ambassadors on the 7th of November. And then the following week, we're going to have Melissa Griffin on, our friend from uh, South Carolina. She is the Assistant South Carolina Climatologist and the Kokoros Director for South Carolina. So Melissa is going to join us on the uh, the 14th to talk about the Kokoros Network and how important that is. And then it'll be Thanksgiving, guys. So we're going to have that week off. And then we end the uh, month of November with uh, Dr. Tracy Farna, uh, something that has been really been talking about in Florida before Michael was the red tide. And so we're going to have uh, Dr. Farna on with us to talk about red tide and, and what that means and how the weather affects it. So uh, as we close out the uh, month of November, that's um, we'll have Dr. Farna on with us. Looking into uh, December, Mark Suddeth will be on on uh, uh, December the 5th to kind of talk about um, Florence and Michael and his, his chases, uh, hurricane chases this year. And we're working with a guest from the Weather Channel to kind of recap uh, the, the 2018 weather and review. And then uh, we'll probably have a fun show towards the end of December. So it's hard to believe, guys, that uh, we are hitting the home stretch here of 2018. Not a lot of shows left. I will say this. December the 4th will be our fifth year anniversary for the Carolina Weather Group. So we may have to do something special then as well. But, um, guys, it's been, a, it's been a good year. It's, it's hard to believe it's almost over. Yeah. Hey, um, real quick about the red tide. This is going to be a really important show. Um, there have been a lot of beaches closed down south near Fort Lauderdale, near Miami. Um, even some beaches were at risk and still are at risk all the way from the Panhandle post Michael. Uh, and so what it is is, um, and, uh, and we're not going to go into a whole story, but I'm just saying there's a specific type of dinoflagellate or, or bacteria that's that's becoming problematic to these beaches, and it's called uh, Carinia brevis. And what it is, is it, it gives off neurotoxins and brevitoxins. And, and people encounter that as respiratory issues. Like they, they have shortness of breath, their eyes sting. And uh, you see a lot of swimmers and kite boarders and anybody on the water, they're just sort of just dealing with it. And, that, and what I want to say is if you're watching this show, if you're encountering that, get away from that area quick. This has long lasting effects to you. You don't want to mess with this stuff. It's really nasty stuff. And so we're going to have our guest on to talk more about the science of that and how it forms, maybe some of the man-made issues possible, tropical issues, everything of the sort. There's a lot of science with this. So it's going to be a really good show to watch. But if you're encountering that now, get away from those beaches, report it to the local emergency management, the fire department's a good start. You can even 911 it if you want to. It's that important. Uh, but 
definitely report those issues because this is the kind of thing that can cause long-term brain damage to people. So um, we'll, we'll get into that on the show, Scotty, but I just want to give that, that safety message out there. Yeah, we're definitely looking forward to that and learning more about that. So we appreciate you guys joining us. We hope you have a great weekend. Have a safe Halloween week uh, next week, and we'll see you back here live for our next show on November 7th. So until then, we hope you have a great one. Uh, Stay dry on Friday. It's going to be a pretty nasty day throughout the Carolinas, so stay dry.